This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined by David Hughes as ever. Dave, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. I hope you are as well. Yeah, as always, um, we have uh, another episode to get through this week, consisting of the request line that we started last week. Obviously, we didn't get through it. We never get through it in one week, usually, when it comes to this sort of thing. So we're going to restart with that, and we're going to speak about, obviously, Arsenal, who we faced this weekend. Uh, Just before we do, I've been asked to flag that uh, this week. In fact, no, sorry, next week. Uh, I know we have a fair few listeners in Dublin. Um, so next week I will I will be in Dublin with Paul Ghost, the Liverpool Echoes, Liverpool correspondents, for a Blood Red Live event uh, at a place called the Camden in Dublin. You can get tickets for it, and it's just, it's on the night that Liverpool play Porto in the Champions League. So yeah, do get tickets for that. Come down, you'll see me there. You'll see Paul there. And it's a bit of a Blood Red Live night, basically live podcast and Q and A and things like that. So. Yeah, those in Dublin do get tickets. But um Dave, in terms of our in terms of our request line, then where will we up to, mate? You want to start? I think we were look at, about to look at um Frank Kessie, who was uh it was flagged by Stephen Kinsella and David Williams. Um, which is quite an interesting player because he's someone that, you know, I've 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 written about recently. Um well, I'll say recently, you know, over the last six to twelve months, because he's been so kind of doing so well for AC Milan. Um, Liverpool fans would have. I'm trying to think. Did he play in the game against Liverpool? I can't remember. I think he uh, did. He showed up was quite good as well. I think he was uh, one of their standout players, to be honest. Yeah. Well, we spoke a lot last week, didn't we, about uh, Basuma? Um, I guess the similarities between the two and how they play, uh, position-wise, what they bring. You know, really kind of good, strong, mobile players. Um guess he kind of got a lot of um, attention last season because he scored a fair few goals. Uh, I think he scored about 13, 14. But, you know, the huge caveat on that was he was a, he was Milan's penalty taker and they had a fair few, uh, which, you know, some would argue would be stat padding, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, but, you know, as, a, as an all-around player, he's a, he's a good midfielder. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. I didn't know that. I've just looked at his numbers now. He scored 13, but... Mm. 11 of them were pens. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so if you kind of just looked at those numbers as, as as a flat, you thought, oh, you've got this kind of, you know, a bit more of a deep deep, deep line midfielder, you know, really good, strong midfielder who scores you loads of goals, perfect. But obviously, you know, if you look a little bit deeper, you see that there's a there's a, there's a big reason for that. Still a good player, though, very good player. Yeah, yeah, he looks very, very well-rounded to me. And I think one of them, interesting things about him at the minute is obviously the fact that his his contract expires in the summer. Um so I think there'll probably be a bit of a queue for him unless he signs a new deal at Milan. But uh yeah very very good player and very powerful but also pretty skillful as well. Um impressive when he's on the ball. Um not particularly that dangerous with his passion but um yeah plays a lot of football available quite a lot only twenty four years old as I said, very physical and strong and things like that in the centre of the park. And I think using FB Ref's similar players model, some of the similar players he's compared to, I, I do see it. 
uh, his most comparable player apparently is over the course of the past year is Adrian Rabio. Um, used to play for PSG, now plays for Juventus. But I, I see it a little bit there, to be honest. Uh, Zambo Anguisa, who used to be a Fulham now at Napoli, is there as well. I see it. I, I can see it with him a little bit. Uh, players like Rakitic in there and Ferdi Valverde of of Real Madrid and players like that. But yeah, I think I think Kessie will probably move this summer. And to be honest, based on his, his general skill set, I wouldn't be that surprised if it was to England. To be honest, he gets he gets linked a lot to Manchester United. I don't know if that one might come because they obviously need a profile like that. So you know, maybe he may end up there. Yeah, do you think he's at all likely to be on Liverpool's radar? Do you think he's that in that mould? I expect to see some sorts of um, stories linking them to Liverpool with the you know, potential availability in the next 12 months. Um, for me, though, probably, probably not, uh, just because I actually think... I mean, it depends what happens to the contract, doesn't it? I suppose you could get him in for free, but I just feel like there'll be a lot of interest in him, a lot of... A lot of clubs looking at him. Um, maybe they could be interested if he, if he was going under the radar, but he's not. Um, probably cost a fair few quid in wages, if not transfer fee. Uh, I just feel like Liverpool will probably look to be look for something a little bit more outside the box. Yeah, so uh, I've got two requests for Curtis Jones, and those are from Marcel Siwek and Tony Redden. I think he's an interesting one, Jones. To be honest, Dave, because I think generally in Liverpool fan base, judging by what I see and what I hear and things like that, he's quite 50-50 split in terms of whether people think he's good enough, whether people think he's going to make it, or whether people think he's just going to be another one of them players that Liverpool sells to Bournemouth. Um, <laughs> but for me, I'll be honest, I'm I'm pretty convinced that he's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he's, you know... I. I think he now is, but I think he's definitely going to be anyway at some point, you know, Liverpool level. So, but I'm always quite surprised at the, like the other, the other week, I think it was last week, I had a quick taxi into town and the taxi driver was speaking to me about the game. This was the day at Liverpool, I think we drew with Brighton and he was at the game, the driver of the taxi, and he was just basically saying, you know, Curtis Jones isn't good enough and stuff. And I was just quite surprised with it, really. Yeah, I've heard similar things myself. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably be more than your camp. I think he is. You know, people forget he is only 20. Um, 20? And you, yeah, 20 years old. It's very young. Uh, and you wonder what, what the gauge is in terms of how people are measuring the player. You know, are they compare, comparing it to, to his age group? And if so, he's, he's literally, you know, top 0.1%. Um, you know, fantastic. If you can pick, try to compare them to players who are, you know, in the height of their um, best years, you know, 27, 28 Liverpool's star players, then maybe at times he can look a little bit below that standard. But he's got so much more development to come. And I think what you've seen so far from him indicates that he can go on to be a top, top player. Um, I mean, if you, you, you've spoken about FB ref a few times. If you if someone wants to go and have a look at him on FB Ref now and just you, it kind of gives you an overview that of where he's at um, against other players, and then obviously it also does the um, player comparison tool as well, which which we've spoken about once or twice. Um, but you know he's kind of like really maxing out 
every area. He's shown up really well. And admittedly, you know, he hasn't had a ton of minutes on the pitch, so that'll influence that to an extent. But it still does kind of capture the, the stuff that he brings to the side. And he does a lot of good. Um, he has a lot of good attacking influence on the Liverpool team when he does play. Yeah, as you said, he, he's got like quite an attacking profile for a central midfielder. And I think he's, he has got, he has got quite a specific profile, I think, because he's been used at times as a wide forward because of his attacking nature. And I suppose his technical ability, he's got really good close control, likes to go on little dribbling runs and things like that. Um, but he's also played quite regularly as a number eight. And I think uh, at times maybe his decision-making can be a little bit better. I think he can release the ball quicker in certain moments. I think when he's uh, defensive, I think defensively his positioning can be a little bit better at times. But he's, as you said, he's 20, you know, he's 20 years old. And if you think of some of Liverpool's current midfielders um, at, in, in the spot at the minute when they were 20 years old, I mean, I, I doubt they were on, on Curtis's level, to be honest. Fabinho, when Fabinho was 20... He'd just been at Monaco for a year. Uh, he was playing fairly regularly, to be fair to him. I, I, I didn't expect that. <laughs> he played th- started 35 out of uh, 38 League One matches as a mm. 20-year-old Fabinho. Um, Another but, example, quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Henderson came to Liverpool when he was 20. Mm. Um, and I think generally there's some comparisons that can be made um, between Henderson and, and Jones at that age. I think Jones is technically better than Henderson was at that age. Um, Henderson's probably got a bit more of an engine but I think just generally on, on Jones' level I think he's going to be fine I don't think there's anything to be concerned about I think he's got a very very high ceiling and if you look, if you think of what he might be when he's 25 which is when Liverpool usually buy these these types of players you know, he's got another 5 years of development before he reaches that stage so I think Curtis Jones is fine Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel um, next, we've got um, from Joe Cavalier talking about Brendan Rodgers, uh, which I think is is quite interesting. Obviously, you know, an, an ex Liverpool manager. Um, uh, just quickly, Josh, on 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 Brendan Rodgers, what's the what's the overview of of him from from people that you know, Liverpool supporters? What how do people look back on that kind of that time and him as a manager? <sighs> Um, I think again, it's it's not that dissimilar to Jones. I think you will generally get a split. You'll get people who thought he was very good, people who still like him now, and you'll get people who generally thought he was a bit of a a bit of a kid, really, a, a bit of you know someone who will take you for a ride a little bit and say things to that that weren't really true. I think there was a there was general comparisons at the time between Rogers and and Roberto Martinez at Evan, because I think both were inclined to maybe exaggerate a little bit when they're talking about their own teams. But I think generally Rodgers is a... I think he's so different now compared to when he was at Liverpool. He's completely arrived at Liverpool with this absolute perfect philosophy. Everything was about the ball. Everything was about possession. Um, Signing little, you know, very... The opposite of physical players like Joe Allen and things like that to, to prove his point and things. And whereas I think now he's 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 totally changed. He changes formation on a regular basis. He's absolutely willing to soak up pressure as part of a block and counter attack when he has to. Um, he's he he seems to have lost a bit of the ego 
attached to recruitment in particular. I think he had conflict with Edwards when he was at Liverpool because he wanted to say over recruitment. And he was that famous summit where the, the committee bought, I think, Firmino and Rodgers bought Benteke in, in the same summer, which is just obviously a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and since, I think Rodgers has kind of, he probably looked at what's happened since, you know, Klopp and the recruitment, Salah and Van Dijk and Allison. He's probably looked at that and thought, you know what, maybe I should have loosened my grip a little bit. So mm. I think he's. I think now, if if Rogers was to replace Klopp, for example, um, I think he'd probably do a really good job actually, um, and I think he's now on a different level to when he was at Liverpool. Uh, he's been yeah. obviously been linked with Manchester City and Manchester United recently, and I think City in particular would would be a really good job for him. Yeah, yeah, I think he's completely different now. Um... But then, you know, what I would say in his defence is he was probably 39, I think, when he came in at Liverpool. Like, that's so young, isn't it? Uh, as a manager to go into a club like that. I think he did have he did have an ego. I thought Liverpool, if we'll be honest, were probably in a different place to what they are now. Um, you know, that kind of that kind of Liverpool of that the, those few years remind me a little bit of what United have been over the last few, few years. And it's only a... It's only say the last few years, specifically in the Klopp era, when Edwards and, and, and everything's kind of a line that Liverpool become what they are. Uh, but it wasn't like that when when Rogers was there initially, so it wasn't easy. Um and yeah, I think he did have a little bit of an ego. He did have this Seth philosophy, and I think he's learned a lot since. You know, we've done really well with Celtic, doing really well at Leicester. Um and I think what stands out as well is th- how he, he um he improves his team and individuals a lot. You know, he did, there's not really a reliance on at Leicester on um on one or two just fantastic individuals that kind of made Leicester so competitive. Um, he's he's built a really good side. You know, a really good team. He's improved a lot of players. Um, you know, if you think of like who's a good Harvey Barnes, maybe that's a probably a good example. You know, Harvey Barnes it felt like he was kind of running the mill when he first broke through. Now he's you know he does really well. Um, you could argue Vardy had always always been doing has kind of found a new level and fought off becoming a lot older adjusted his game there i think madison's you know they had that thing with madison didn't he for a little while um where madison was out the side and you know despite being a really good player he wasn't playing and that was meant to, that was to be stuff with um with, off the pitch uh, and he's obviously dealt with that really well brought madison back in he looks like a you know top talent again so i think he's just improved a lot as a man manager as well and I fully expect them to be in charge of one of the Manchester clubs over the next, you know, two years. Maybe I've got a feeling it might be United. You know, I think United will go for them before City get there because obviously they've got to wait for Guardiola to go. Um, whereas United probably going to have a, a more vacant place in the next six months. Yeah, if if I was him, I'd be. I, I think I'd be a little bit concerned about that United job, to be honest. Because yeah, I think I if you look, if, if you look at Rogers career he's generally done very very well when he's had a very good squad um when when he had a very good squad at liverpool for that that particular season liverpool's flew celtic obviously flew uh leicester particularly when he first arrived and they had chilwell and maguire and you know vardy had it still still closer to his peak and all these players um leicester flew um so I think generally he does well with a good squad. I'm not saying United have a bad squad, but they just 
generally over the years haven't looked anywhere near as competent when it comes to squad building compared to a Liverpool or a City or even a Leicester. So I think Rodgers would be majorly risking his, his reputation if he goes there because I think out of all the top clubs, the prospect of failure is, is probably at its highest at United just because of how they generally run. And, um, I was going to ask you, Dave, do you think he's the best British coach? Um, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. You know, when you've asked that question, there's no one else who, who jumps in front of it that I think, no, he is. Um, I, I would certainly, agree. yeah, at this level at the moment anyway, for sure. Yeah, I would agree for what it's worth, although I do think, um, I think Potter comes to mind as someone who's, who's quietly closing the gap a little bit. Um, but I don't think Potter will get properly recognised, and perhaps rightly so, until he gets maybe a job more in the spotlight and see how he copes. Obviously, Rogers has kind of done that. Yeah, um, I also think Potter probably still needs more consistent results with the performances and, and yeah. the improvements as well. Um, and obviously, Rogers got got a trophy under his belt in the last season, which kind of feels like no, no one really remembers. And I, I kind of forgot it, but he did win the FA Cup, didn't he? Which uh, that stuff does count yeah. for things, whether it should or shouldn't, is, is a different matter. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about winning trophies, isn't it? And, and he did do that. Yeah, so next on the list from Daniel Salisbury is Anthony of Ajax. Um, I think we might have had a few names asked for him, actually. So if I've missed your name there, in addition to, to Daniel, I think uh, that's, that's my mistake, that actually but. Interesting player, Dave. Have you seen him? Have you seen him play? Yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen Europe. Um, you know, I, I could try to pretend I watched loads of the Eredivisie, but look, I don't. Um, <laughs> I definitely monitor because we, we write about a lot of players in the division, but I'm not going to pretend that I watch it week in, week out because it's it's a tough league to follow uh, TV-wise. But yeah, I've seen him and I can see why there's interest there. You know, he's got really good records. Um very young player. I think Liverpool perspective, maybe people are looking at it because he's that kind of, you know, player who plays on the right, but he's left footed, uh, loves to cut in, really good dribbler, can score, can create. You know, I wonder if people are thinking, is that the kind of Salah next profile, successor, that type of thing? Um, but just from a general point of view, really good player, exciting player, will probably be one of the top five European leagues soon. It just depends when and how yeah, soon really uh, because I actually really good this year so he's obviously still 21 and as you said he's left footed which you know we've flagged plenty of times on this podcast that's just generally a very valuable pick especially for the forward um but yeah he looks he looks really exciting he looks very very direct um scored nine Eredivisie goals last season with eight assists no penalties so far this season, he's scored three in the Eredivisie. And usually when Ajax pick up a foreign talent, usually, particularly from South America, they, they, tend to, they tend to be good reason behind that, basically. Obviously, Ajax are very focused on their own academy and things. So when they go and splash out on on a, a kid from, from abroad, like a, a David Neres comes to mind as well. I know he hasn't particularly got his move in the past few years, but Anthony looks another one of them. And, he looks very quick, very skillful, technical, unpredictable. You know, all all those nice things that you want from a forward. And considering he's twenty one years old, I, I I do think he's he's definitely one to watch. And he he does look like a a Liverpool type player, high ceiling, and 
Uh, he's, he's obviously learned the trade at the right club, really good club to come through at uh, Ajax. I don't think it's it's going to happen anytime soon, like this summer and like that, because he's, he's still contacted for another four years in Ajax. So I can't see any move anytime soon. But as a player, that Liverpool will be, you know, tracking, keeping a look on type thing. I think he's he's certainly got to be on there because he looks like a big prospect to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm just uh, whilst we were talking, I was just having a look because obviously he's a Brazilian international as well, isn't he? And he's playing for them, uh, which is which helps. And I was just trying to see if I thought he was a little bit slight profile wise. Um, because sometimes if it does feel like that, it, it's such a lazy kind of thing to say about players coming coming from the Eredivisie because that's what so many people, you know, label at them. But um, it's it sometimes is true. But I guess if you think about like a Jota type, you know, Jota as a profile doesn't look like he'd be that imposing, but you know, he, he is quite strong. Um, and maybe we'd be looking at the same from him here. Yeah, I mean, I, sp- I suppose a way around that would be to look at generally how he gets on in the Champions League and in Europe. Yeah. Uh, so far this season, he's started all four. In fact, no. Has it been four or has it been five? Well, he started he started four Champions League matches anyway for Ajax so far this season. Scored one, assisted five. Uh, last season, he scored one in, again, four starts. So, But again, you'd have to watch the, probably watch the footage regarding that sort of thing. But mm. yeah, that's generally, I suppose, one of one of the difficult things of, of, about picking up a player from from the Dutch at VC and bringing him straight to the Premier League, it's just you do have that doubt. And generally, I think if you look at the players who've, who've came over the years, I mean, it's, who who has been a success? Has he been? Has he been any? Yeah, it's, <laughs> um, it's really hit and miss, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, you've got Davy Classen. Did he come from from yeah. Ajax? So that was you know Ajax's captain. You know, kind yeah. of leader took them all the way to the Europa League. Looked a fantastic player. Come to Everton, didn't really do it. Um, and obviously, you can think, oh well, that's that's might might not be in the right club for him. But he did have a few goals in Germany as well. I think he went to Werder Bremen. Uh, didn't quite work out. And he's back at Ajax now. Um, yeah. You also have Hakim Ziyech, who hasn't really kicked on at Chelsea. No. Rumored to leave in January. You have Sebastian Haller, who got. Brought to West Ham for about forty million, I think, and he he's now back in Holland. So, mm. yeah, just generally, there's a bit of a question mark as to that sort of thing. But Anthony does look very good to me. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, um, um, yeah. You're next, Dave. Yeah, well, I think Daniel Salisbury had one more actually. Yeah, uh, two. Yeah, yeah. Tumani at, at Monaco midfielder. Um, is that have you got down, Josh? Yeah, two and many. Yeah, I think it's yeah, two and many. Sorry, two and many. Ireland, two and two and many, or something yeah. like that. But he's a big yeah. name, isn't he? He's uh, on, on everyone's radar at the minute. Yeah, if you're the um, you know, when you you've, you've probably come across it, Josh, when we're going day to day, you know, he's getting linked to it, seems to be predominantly City at the moment. Uh, City seems to be the club who who, who attracting the uh, the most attention with him, but. I think any any kind of top Premier League side is getting linked, and you can understand why. You know, he's a um, he's a top player. You know, I, I'm trying to remember how old he is actually. Two seconds. He is um, twenty one. Twenty one. Funny enough, they like all the links I've seen are with United rather than City. Oh, see, I, I mean, yeah, if you, the best way to do this now is put them in. On, see, I've got 
if you put it in on Google now, um, there's a stories. There's a City one, Chelsea, Madrid, oh, uh, <laughs> and Newcastle. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, but no, you know, he's he's kind of that. It, we, I feel like we've come across a few similar midfield profile, although not carbon copies, but you know, profiles of, of players who were quite quite dominant, uh, both in the air and on the floor, good tacklers. Um, I yeah, think he, he definitely comes under that. Yeah, I was going to say then, he, he specifically looks very, very good without the ball on the defensive side of the game. He looks like that kind of, you know, that that Hoover, that Hoover in a in like a whole midfield type area that just kind of like extinguishes fires, you know, that type of player, while also obviously having plenty attached to his game. But he looks like he has generally similar skill set to a a Declan Rice maybe a um, Wilfred Ndidi to a lesser extent Fabinho I think Fabinho is slightly different but um, yeah he, he does generally look like he's got bags of potential and I think he's already representing France at international level I think I might be saying that mm. uh, currently at AS Monaco and uh, he's, he's so far of late at least playing fairly often uh, obviously he's still Still very, very young, but last season he started 36 out of their 38 league matches. So far this season, he started 11 times. Um, so, yeah, he, he looks like one who probably will get purchased for a big price, to be honest. But I've got a question for you. Can you remember if uh, Fabinho was playing in a double pivot when he was at Monaco? Yeah, he was, yeah. Yeah, because he's also playing in a double pivot. Because um, they tend to exclusively play like a 4-2-3-1. Uh, I always just wonder how that adjusts. Uh, normally, when you go into a top side, you're normally playing in that position uh, as like a more holding on your own kind of number six, aren't you? Um, although it, you know, it might not always be the even if there's two two in midfield, you'll normally have one that does does more of the defensive work. I assume he'd be doing more of that, and there's always just question marks about how that person uh, copes going into that lone role when you're, when you're quickly in like a, a two normally, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it took it took a fair few months actually for Fabinho to learn the role and initially he, I remember one specific early performance away at the Emirates, uh, he, just the space looked quite open really uh, and it looked like Fabinho didn't really have the mobility to manage those open spaces where if you, if you give Fabinho a smaller space to manage, he'll absolutely hoover everything up like it's easy. Mm. But you've got, I suppose you've got the same question mark attached to Declan Rice. You know, Declan Rice is currently in the pivot, so uh, there isn't many out there, to be honest, them long defensive midfielders that have proven an ability to just sweep up everything like, uh, mm. like Fernandinho was doing a few seasons back, for example. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll move on to uh, Yusuf... Hashishi's request. Apologies if I've just butchered your name, mate. Um, he asks for Giorgio Chiellini. Bit of an alternative shout, that one, Dave. Yeah, I'm just laughing at you, apologising when really, you know, you should be thankful that wasn't me who tried to do it because I'm, <laughs> I'm terrible at them, mate. Um, but yeah, strange one, you know, because I guess with these kind of names that normally come up, um, we're kind of trying to shed a little bit of light in it, you know, a few words on plays that maybe people are just getting to know or don't know that much about. I think Cellini is completely different, isn't he? Because he's he's a he's a player that everyone knows about. Uh, you know, he's 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 arguably not the the, the most 
uh, fantastic player from a technical perspective. Uh, but he's got all that stuff that maybe some overlook, but we try not to uh, in terms of the mental attributes. You know, he's a he's definitely what you consider the leader. Uh, I think he's. He's, he's someone that, if you're on the pitch, I imagine a lot of players turn to him. Um, I think probably the, 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 the something that stands out for me when we talk about him is the is what he did prior to the penalty shootout against um, Spain. Was it in the in the Euros this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, no, it was against. Are you talking about the the Saka moments where he pulls Saka back by his collar? No, no. I'm talking about see if you, see if you remember it. So. Going into the penalty shootout to the side who, who progresses. Uh, oh, I know, yeah, I know. Final, yeah. And he uh, he does this little thing where, I, I, well, I think it was a Jordi Alba, uh, where he kind of gives him a bit of a joke and slap down. Uh, <laughs> and an alpha moment. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. So, to, you know, although that looks quite funny and, you know, lighthearted, I think that was a very clever thing that he did you know because it is a very kind of alpha uh you see you wouldn't do that to someone that you felt really uncomfortable or intimidated why by would you but just doing that action it's kind of like i'm i'm a, i'm more comfortable than you i'm i'm like the alpha male here and it, it's a little bit degrading isn't it really if we're being <laughs> honest it's a little yeah. bit degrading and to do that ahead of a crunch penalty shootout against your opponent you know only one team can pro- progress i think that that they're just these little slight edges or moments that can that can play a part in the in, in the kind of outcome um and maybe give a little bit if the players were paying attention i don't know but maybe give them a little bit of kind of impetus to to to, to follow suit and you know have the big cojones as they say yeah i think he's got that element suppose him hasn't he that, that i suppose the the elite competitor elements to his game um obviously he's doing something right because he's uh he's won the Serie eight times in his career so far still playing at a very good level at the age of 37 and he's a uh, he's left foot as well which i didn't know uh which is an interesting little quirk attached to his center back but i think funny enough just looking at his general game you know his general skill set and things like that it's hard it's hard not to focus on what he's like now because he's still playing, but I'm trying to think of even what he was like in his peak. I still think that if he came through now, I think the large majority of top sides would probably avoid him just because he's, as you said, he's, he's not as elaborate on the ball. And I think pace-wise, he'd probably struggle if he was playing Liverpool's high line every week. So I think he's probably benefited from coming through in Serie A and what Serie A's been like over the years playing in at Juventus as part of a back five more often than not. But I think if he was coming through now, as I said, I think it'd be a little bit of a different game for him. Not to downplay his ability at all. I mean, his reading of the game especially is, is outstanding. And, you know, I can't hold candles to the man, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it's it's just interesting how these, these legendary players, I'm sure you'll go down in history, it's interesting to consider, OK, what will they be like now than in the modern game? Um coming through playing for a, a Pep Guardiola or a, a, you know, Jürgen Klopp or, or the next in line. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is an interesting one. Jonathan Tidecott, I think it is, uh, and, and Tom Stewart. Um, talking about Jude Bellingham, which did, I, I don't know. I, I imagine there's probably a few that wanted to talk about him. Um, 
but these are the two obviously we've got names in front of us um i mean just an insane talent to put it bluntly um and the weird thing is it sometimes you feel like these players can be hyped a little bit um because obviously comes through really young age he had that it's still nonsense despite him being a fantastic player he had that nonsense where Birmingham retired the uh, the squad number after him um you know and all that can kind of work against the player a little bit but if you put it to one side you know he's a player with the absolute full package you know as in terms of a, a midfield he's just a fantastic passer can dribble you know he's really strong without the ball and I think that the real crux of all this that makes him so Fantastic is the fact he's still just eighteen. I mean, like his, his, his age is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. The fact he's eighteen and doing this is crazy. But um, he's he's he looks very very good. Obviously, uh, he look, he looks very very well rounded and very few weaknesses to his game. Despite the fact he's still a teenager, if you look at his numbers, he looks very very good in comparison to other central midfielders when it comes to you know, even very specific things like dribbles and things like that and creative numbers. Obviously, we've flagged a few times on this show that central midfielders, you know, contrary to popular opinion, I assume, is they're not generally that creative or they don't score that much either. You know, I know Lampard and Gerrard and Scholes kind of warped the perspective on that sort of type thing, but generally central midfielders do everything kind of in between. Uh but Bellingham, you know, is, is scoring as creative numbers. They look very, 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 very good to the extent that, you know, he's impacting um, his team at both ends of the pitch, really, not just in the middle of the pitch. Um, but one interesting element about this game is, is in terms of progressive passes, his numbers don't look particularly elaborate. Um, he averages about 3.5, 3.6 progressive passes per 90 over the course of the past year. Um, that places him in the the forty second percentile of midfielders. Um, over that period, so maybe his passing isn't. Maybe he's not like a you know a Thiago that 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 type player. A Rodri who's going to move the ball from A to B through the lines and things like that. But I think generally looking at what he's like, his, his profile and his skills and things, he looks the type to me to to maybe impose his, his physical qualities on on proceedings a little bit more. Yeah, and obviously, I suppose you could you could make a case as well that if you think how, how Dortmund play, um, you know they're going to play fewer fewer of those kind of longer progressive passive passes because nine times out of ten they'll be the ones in possession, uh, facing the team, sitting a little bit deeper, probably fewer opportunities to to have those windows to to to, to play those passes. But um, I agree on the on the point in terms of maybe being someone who imposes a game more physical from a physical point of view. And, and I, I guess, you know, before we moved on, Josh should probably ask if you, if, if you're of the opinion that you think he'd be a, a kind of good fit for Liverpool or someone that Liverpool would, should go out the way to try and sign. In terms of the fit and the, and the playing style and things like that, I think he'd be a perfect fit. I think he's, he's very in the clock mode, I think, in terms of, just the ground he can cover, being very well-rounded, very adaptable, um, plenty of room to grow and things like that, obviously the fact that he's still 18. But then at the same time, I would be very, very surprised if he ends up at Liverpool. 
just just simply because of what he's going to cost. You know, he's 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 going to he's English. Dortmund are well known for whenever they sell a major talent, they take the, the buying club to the cleaners. They just it's just what they do. Um, you know, they're going to try and do it with Haaland. I'm assuming, but I think that one's a bit difficult because of the release clause. But they did it with Usman Dembele. They did it with Sancho. Um, so when it comes to Bellingham, he's still got a fair few years on his contract. I think his contract's in 2025. So this summer, he'll still have another three years left on his deal. So I don't think he'll go this summer. I think it'll potentially be the summer after. But then even then, he's probably gone for like, I don't know what you think, maybe 80, do you think? Yeah, I think, I, I think maybe what might keep it to a, relatively in the context more reasonable fee is that he's a midfielder and as you said you know they don't tend to score a lot of goals um which often if, like if you think of Haaland he scores so many goals that that'll just bump his price right up um that being said you know he, he's a, he, he would have a huge impact on the team um so for that reason you'd still be looking at well I'll tell you what Josh what's Grealish just gone for a hundred yeah so he went for 100, didn't he? Uh, I think the difference is, you know, Grealish can play high up the pitch and obviously has more of those raw goals and assist contributions. Maybe Bellingham doesn't doesn't get have that. So 80 mil is probably, a, you know, a good a good estimate. My only thing with him is, although he's obviously very, very good and he's extremely valuable and things like that, my only thing with it is, will Liverpool be able to get a player who offers roughly similar contributions on the pitch for half the price. And I think generally they probably will. Over the course of a decade, probably not. That's the difference with signing Belling the fact you've got him for the decade, you don't have to buy him, you know. But I think generally if you look at, you know, goal difference and things like that and the impact Salah has on Liverpool's ability to win at one end of the pitch and the impact Van Dijk has and Allison has on Liverpool's ability to win matches at the opposite end of the pitch. With Bellingham playing in the middle, how much of an influence can Bellingham have on on Liverpool's ability to score and ability to not concede? Do you get what I mean? Oh, so yeah. when Liverpool yeah. are looking at transformational players and they're playing record amounts for Allison, Van Dijk, you know, potentially Salah getting the biggest contract Liverpool have ever given out. When it comes to Bellingham, who's playing in the middle of the park. It's just a bit, you can get someone else to do roughly similar to what he's going to do for half the price. And I just I just think Liverpool will do that. But, I, you know, I hope I'm wrong because I'd, I'd love to see him at Anfield. But I just would be amazed that if Liverpool pay, you know, 80 million plus for him, which I think he'll, I think Dortmund will find, uh, we'll, we'll get from an English club. Yeah. It's basically, you know, match the side and actions. Or in both boxes, aren't they? So you think of Salah. If you exactly. have a Salah, yeah. If you have a Salah, you know, he his contribution comes in the box or in and around. That it's it, you know converts into a goal. And same with the other end with Allison. You know his his contribution is stopping them directly. Theoretically, you'd say Bellingham could be running midfield. You know the best midfielder by far. He could be putting putting Liverpool into a position where he can get up to the box. But we've already determined he's not going to be the player that then turns it into a goal. Um, and that just might be the small difference between the fees and, you know, the, the kind of difference making in terms of goals, points. And that's what we know Liverpool kind of consider over the campaign. 
Um, so yeah, there probably would be a ceiling that he wouldn't be prepared to pay, even though he's a fantastic talent for that reason. Yeah, so we'll have to move on, Dave, and it's, we're already 39 minutes into this recording, apparently. So now, just to move it on a bit quicker, we'll have to be a bit more concise. And when it comes to requests, anyone who's put in two requests, just do one of them from now on. So, uh, okay. yeah, Jonathan Tiscott did actually request Jared Bowen, but because you've just had one, mate, and because we've run out of time, we're going to have to skip yeah. that one, I think. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So we'll move on to Richard Peel, who's requested Ralph Harsenhull. Um, I think he referenced in his question something to do with, you know, the Alpine Klopp type thing, and I suppose could he replace Klopp in the future and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Harsenhull, Dave? Yeah, um, i try and keep it brief, obviously. Uh, you know what? I, I still think he's a, he's a, he's a good manager. Um, the only thing, so I think you know, I think he's a good manager because he has a really good philosophy. Um, you know, he he kind of I think maximizes what he what the squad he has. Uh, the only thing is, and I don't know if this is more a fault of Southampton's rather than it is than him is. I just don't know if he always does enough, or as a club, do he do enough to you know push the needle to more, towards winning more points and matches. You know, they seem to constantly be loitering kind of in that mid table position, and maybe that's. Or you know, lower mid table, and maybe that's just what will, unfortunately, this kind of regime or modern Southampton that's the best he can achieve. But um, I think when he first come in, one or two might have expected that after a few years down the line, he'd, he'd have them kind of pushing top eight, and you'd, you'd argue that they're instead more kind of leaning towards bottom six or seven. Yeah, I think he's generally a good coach. I do like him. And I think anyone anyone in the Premier League would start to poach him from Southampton. I wouldn't have much of an issue with it. I think he'd, I'd be interested to see how he gets on because I do think generally his playing style suits players who are better, I think. Um, players who are a bit more capable. But I think he's a good coach, yeah. I think he's he's probably at a level above Southampton, in my opinion. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a top 10 job in the next couple of seasons, potentially. Uh, so... Yeah, go on, mate. You're next, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm happy for you to run through them if you want, because we might uh, we might start getting a bit lost as to what we're doing if we're if we're bombing through them. But just I, I know where we're up to for now, at least, and I feel like a cop out on this one, but I'll be honest <laughs> with it. Um, Kevin Keegan, and that's from Philip Watling. Um, now we did obviously open the floor, didn't we, to pass players? Um, and I spoke to a few kind of. The older fellas, I know, we, you know, both blues and reds, but you know what it was like, you know, back in the day, a lot of blues would watch Liverpool and Liverpool fans watch Everton. It's just how it worked. And there was a this kind of mutual admiration. So spoke to them about the likes of John Barnes and stuff, but Kevin Keegan didn't speak to him. Obviously, I never watched them live. I only really knew him as the, as the manager. So I don't know if you've had any more insight off anyone, Josh. Well, this is a difficult one, really, because he's a, he's a, he is a player that I never, he was before my time, really. Um, but I do know bits about him, you know. I think he was very, very, very tricky player, very tricky forward. I think he generally played through the middle. Um, but in the modern day, again, I think it's generally insistent to see how they were playing in the modern day. He would probably be in the mould of a Salah or a Mane type, you know, cutting inside from the flanks, finishing. Um, but he, he, he was generally just a very unpredictable player with very close control. Um, and really creative and things like that, capable of scoring a few goals and things. So, yeah, top player. But, again, it was 
difficult one because he's he's a, a player from the past that I don't know too much about really. Mm. Yeah, so, so some of the older guys or the older yeah. listeners, you know, will be screaming their heads off that we don't know more. But again, yeah, it's, it's a shame that data doesn't go back that far because it'd be yeah. nice to delve into some of the numbers. But yeah, we're just dealing with the present, sadly. Um. So yeah, I'll we'll go with Chris Leonard who's requested Dusan Vlahovic. Popular name in the transfer world as of late. Uh, linked strongly with Spurs. And one of the next big things, I suppose, coming out of Syria. Mm, yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh doesn't look his age. You know, it's, I think he's only at about twenty twenty one. Um I've had checked. Looks older than uh, Lewandowski, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, we see he's uh, you know, kind of Making big waves, understandable. Uh, Fiorentina, uh, I think he scored about eight goals this season. Um, On that though, one thing I do know about that is of his eight goals, I think only four are from open play. Ah, uh, there we go. The Al- is that penalties or set piece stuff? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's because I think I'll have to check now. On. All it is, I think if it obviously he's an attacking asset from set pieces, that's kind of okay. You know, you can kind of you no, can, it's penalties. You, Oh yeah, see that's different, isn't it? That's that's why we uh, use that same stat pattern. Although it isn't technically that, and you want to be able to convert them. If there's a lot on there, they can skew things a little bit. But um, you know, still there's still a, a lot to like about the player. Whether I'd see him as a Liverpool player, I don't think so. But um, you know, in terms of being the kind of big profile who looks like they're they're going to do quite well um, career-wise, then I think he's definitely that. Yeah, scored 21 goals last season as well in Serie A, but again, 15 of them went on penalty. So he's benefited from six pens there. But yeah, generally looks like he's got a, f- a fair bit of potential um, left-footed as well. But I don't know, there's an element of his game where I do look at him and think, is he a bit of a trap? You know, is he another one of those players who would come to England and just not and just suffer, basically? I'm not really sure, so... Plenty of potential and still very, very young. But whether he's ready for England and things like that, you know, all the pressure of leading the line of a top six club, I think there's still potentially question marks there. Mm. So, yeah, I'll keep leading us out, Dave. So we'll go towards um, a man that we know very well, uh, Jonathan David. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have spoken about him in the past, but we've got requests from Mark Weeks and Loik Holoig. I'm not sure if I've pronounced your name right. I'm sure it's French by the looks of it. Um, but nice. yeah, Jonathan David. Yeah, Luke, yeah. To no. be honest, Jonathan David, Luik probably knows more about David than us because he's, uh, I'm assuming, watching League One every week. Yeah, you know what? I was just about to say, it's. It, I mean, for those who don't know, we, we did a kind of transfer special probably about two years ago now. Um, and he was a name that, that we flagged. Um, you know, he, he looked like a player who, could, who, who kind of had a high scene and was doing some interesting stuff. I think he was shown quite similar at the time to like a Firmino, which is why why we talked about him. Obviously not a carbon copy, but, you know, just in terms of what he could maybe bring as a profile. Um, but to be honest, Josh, uh, I know he's been scoring, uh, but I haven't watched a ton of him at all this year. Um, you know, I haven't really watched a ton of Ligue 1 either. Uh, I know that he he obviously won the, uh, he won the league, didn't he, last year with, with Lille. Um, who had a really good campaign. Um, I think he's still been scoring this year, eight for the season. I'll bring the numbers up now. Yeah, scored eight and ten. Um, 
So, you know, it looks like he's still he's still converting and he, he's going on to be the player that, you know, kind of predicted two years ago that, that he could be. Yeah, he does look very, very good, yeah. He's, um, as you said, he scored eight goals this season. Only one penalty, which isn't bad. Uh, over the course of the past few seasons, he's, he's played a lot of football, which generally bodes well for a move to Liverpool. Um, 29 starts last season, 24 the season before and 21 the season before that. Uh, still only 21, although he's 22 very soon. Uh, reasonably two footed as well, based on the numbers. And to be honest, his pressure numbers as well look very, very good based on his time at uh, Lille. Yeah, so must be a bit of a presence. I'm not really sure, but don't watch him too much under the new coach. I watched him last season under Galtier a little bit more, but mm. um, just generally, to be honest, I'm not sure i put my neck on the line here, but. I think Liverpool might sign this player soon. <laughs> I think he, he he looks like he's. I mean, he's showing a lot, I, I, and I think what 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 he could do. This this will be the fourth se- fourth season in a row that he scored over ten league goals. In you know you know for a team that isn't a dominant side, you know he did it for Ghent twice. He he's gonna do it for Lille twice. This is removing penalties. And then you look at his age and things like that. So, yeah, maybe we can dedicate a bit more time to him further down the line because if we if we were to do like a transfers pod for like a summer window or something, he, he'd probably be close to our lists, wouldn't he? But he yeah. looks like he's got bags of potential. Yeah, and I think the the, the big thing with him was everything else that he brought. And I think said at the time, yeah, he's scoring goals. Yeah, that's fine. But it's it's everything else that he's doing that's that makes him very interesting from a Liverpool point of view and. You know, he, he he's kind of following that route that that was predicted. So yeah, if he did sign, that would be definitely one of the bank fours. But wait and see. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Right, so I'm, I'm moving towards favouring names now who have been requested by a few people. So one of the popular names that we got was Conor Gallagher. Mm. Three people. So we had Tahir Iqbal, Scotty Allison, and Stephen Kay all requesting Conor Gallagher. And looking at the season, Dave, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. Look, he's he's been really good. Uh, felt like he drifted under the radar a little bit uh, at was it West Brom? He was at last year, wasn't it? Uh, on loan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually saw him a couple of times. You know, playing for Ch- Chelsea's twenty threes. Um, and he looked a, a decent player then, uh, but obviously he's kind of stepped up in this really good, or looks like they're going to be a really good Palace side. And um, funny, funny enough, when we were talking about Bellingham, brought his page up an FB ref earlier, and uh, and Gallagher was shown as one of the similar similar profiles. Which yeah, really like, I spotted that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think generally one of the interesting elements to his game is obviously he's a central midfielder. But he does have maybe it's a bit of a lazy comparison because of the because of his parent club. But he does seem to have that Lampard element to his game, doesn't he? In terms mm-hmm. of his ability to arrive late in the box, sneak a goal and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, his expected goals compared to midfielders and his shots compared to midfielders is generally high. Uh, despite the fact that he's only playing for Crystal Palace, he's obviously a monster on the defensive side because he just runs all day. I think Thomas Tuchel, <laughs> Thomas Tuchel actually said it. Um, I think he said something like, "If you wake him up first thing in the morning, I think he'll just he, and ask him to run to the shop or something. He just will. Like he, <laughs> he's just permanently on the go. Like he's uh, 
Jorah Salaboni. He's a bit in the Milner mold, isn't he, in terms of that? Yeah. He hasn't gone permanently, has he, to them? No, no, no. Oh, but I, I do think one of the major differences between Liverpool and Chelsea is if Gallagher was a Liverpool Academy graduate, I think he's in the, he's in the team. I think he's, he's probably, at, at worst, he's probably ahead of like a Curtis Jones in the pecking order. But he's, he's mm. without, there's no way Liverpool will loan him out again if he's, if he's at Liverpool. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, he's uh, definitely one to keep an eye on this year. Do you think he's just like, as a closing remark regarding him? Do you think he makes it to Chelsea or not? Well, this is the interesting thing. Like, uh, you know, you were saying that Liverpool he plays, but I was thinking, is the issue there that maybe there's more, there could be more opportunities to play there? Chelsea, I don't know. Um, does he make it? I mean, he's still young, isn't he? He's yeah, so he's he's still young. He's twenty one. Um, 22 in February, so he'd be, yeah, I think he's got a shot. Yeah, yeah, I think he's got a shot. Um, I think he's good enough, like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Guess that I can't add more than that. Then just I think he's got a chance, yeah. So, two shouts from Albert Kawangwari and Eugene Bukas for John Barnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure this, despite your Evertonian background, Dave, and despite this being another player that was before our time, I'm sure you're a little bit more aware of, of John Barnes. Yeah, yeah. So this was one of the ones I spoke to about. And it's funny that we talk about the Evertonian background. There's a, there's a fella that um, has been going to Everton games all his life, part of kind of my dad's friendship group, a very knowledgeable football man. Um, and he was the person I spoke to. I said, you know, could you shed any more light on John Barnes, I said, I know he was always playing for the nemesis, um, bit a bit of tongue in cheek, and he, but he said, you know, straight away, he said he was such a talented player. He was so strong, great dribbler. He scored and created a ton of goals. Struggled a little bit to translate that uh, for England, but he said that that wasn't necessarily Barnes's fault. Um, but he said it was just unfortunate that. After his injuries, he lost his pace a little bit. Um, and obviously his technical ability uh, saw him going to centre midfield where he still had a, a decent career, um, which I'm sure most will remember. But he did say it was a little bit of a shame that he lost his pace because that was you know, combined with his technical skill that made him such a force. And he had to adjust a little bit. But on the whole, he was, just a, he was a great Liverpool player and understandably one of the greats. Yeah, I remember him being really keen on the dribble, really inclined to carry the ball over long long distances and stuff like that, very direct. Pretty sure he was left-footed as well, I think, which in the modern day probably suggests he played more closer to Salah, whereas I think in, when he did play, he played on, on the wing of his preferred foot, which at more as a winger than an inside forward. Mm. And I think on the back of that, I don't think he ever really scored that often. Uh, looking at FBF, which generally doesn't go back this far, FB ref goes back to the earliest it goes to is Barnes as a 28 year old. And from 28 years old onwards, the most goals he scored in a single season in the Premier League was six. Mm. Um, whereas assist wise, his best assist season was 10. Now, I'm not sure if his peak came before 28 years old, judging by what you just said there about injuries. Probably, maybe it did. Mm. But uh, yeah, I just remember Barnes being, I mean, Super unpredictable and very difficult to dispossess. And, um, one of them players who, who did have a similar skill set to what we, we see now in terms of having the pace, the technical ability, but also the specifically the upper body sense to 
to just barge people out the way, basically. Um, Here's one, and I'm so conscious of time, but uh, is there, pro- I'll put you on the spot, but is there, can you think of a profile now or a player now that you'd compare them to? Um, it's hard, that, isn't it? On the spot, it's hard. I could probably, I, I, I do try to do this genu- generally, but um, can you? No, I can't actually. Um, and, and the, I was thinking maybe initially when I asked the question, Kate coming to me, but I just don't think they're the same because I feel like Barnes had a lot more pace and ability to run up plays and around plays, loads of technical skill where, you know, Kate is maybe more a dribble to get away from someone rather than dribbling through people, if that makes sense. Yeah, to be honest, I don't I don't think he's that dissimilar. This is actually quite weird, but I don't think he's that dissimilar to Harvey Barnes. Um in terms of having the direct nature, good on the dribble, um, good strong upper body strength as well. Um but obviously Harvey Barnes plays more as an inside forward now and John Barnes is more of a winger. But yeah, uh, maybe that's one to think about a little bit deeper. Uh, so we're gonna go for I can't I can't not go to this one because this this is an important shout I think if we're going back to world pass players Dave this is from Chintan Barrow and his request is just simply R9 the original Ronaldo <sighs> uh, I mean you know what can you say Dave yeah I wonder if it's the same for you but he was definitely my kind of first footballing hero you know, I wanted to play like him. Uh, I think I had a. Have you ever ever been abroad on a, like Spain? Say you go to uh, on holiday to Spain and they have the shops with all of the kind of fake football tops and stuff. I always remember getting the Brazil one with Ronaldo on the back, and uh, oh, I lived in that thing. Absolutely lived in it. Um, especially like you know, kind of. I think even late nineties. I think around especially ninety eight time. Loved it. Um, you know, I did. It was just, he was just fantastic. He just seemed to score the same goals over and over again. You know, kind of running at, doing step overs, round keepers, or slotting into the bottom corner. He was just a master of it. It'd be interesting to watch him now, if you could, Josh, relive his whole career and it, and one day he's as good as, as you remember, or there's a little bit of romance behind it. But uh, yeah, you know, great name, great player. Yeah, he was ahead of his time, I think, his skill set. You know, he was incredibly agile and very, very fast. Very good at changing direction quickly and things like that. But he was also pretty built. You know, he could, he, he would bounce off him type thing. Um, I think he was kind of, he, he was a bit like the build of Rooney, almost. And also had the pace that Rooney had, but was just very, very technical compared to... You know, much, much better dribbler than Rooney and things like that. Um, and just very un- unpredictable and obviously injuries set him back a little bit. But mm. if you look at his numbers, with him being such a legendary player, FBF do have his numbers of, of, of his career. And if you look at his time at Real Madrid, his first season at Real Madrid, he scored 23, then scored 24, then scored 21, and then scored 14. Uh, and there's, there's only about, I think, three or four penalties in there in total for that. Um when he was at Inter. His first season at Inter as a nine, as a twenty year old and this was when Serie A was pretty strong as well, I think I remember rightly. Scored twenty five goals. Um nineteen of those went went on penalty. But yeah, one of the legendary players that 
you know, if it weren't for injuries, it would have been nice to see the level that he could have reached. But um, yeah, just really special player. Obviously, very very specific traits when it comes to one on ones. He would always go around the keeper, wouldn't he? he was wedded to those uh, the step overs and stuff like that. And you don't see as much of that anymore, to be honest. But yeah, really legendary player, and it's nice to see someone throw his name actually. And another legendary player that we can't really skip from Gary Johnson is Gaza, Paul Gascoigne. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you're a Blue Dave, so I'm assuming you'll know a bit more about him than me. Yeah, I was actually obviously privileged for a small while to, to watch him live, um, which you know, not many, certainly of our age, maybe would say that. Uh, some of the older listeners, would, would, I imagine, would have got the opportunity. Um, or maybe one or two of our listeners abroad probably never got the opportunity either. Uh, but... Yeah, you know, he, he obviously he arrived at Everton at the tail end of his career a little bit. Um, but there was one game, I think it was a, it, it was against maybe a Burnley or a Lake Orient. And this is when, you know, Burnley were not a Premier League side, but got them in a cup game and he was unplayable. You know, he was absolutely fantastic. And that was kind of when I, when I realised what the hype was about because he obviously had a big reputation, but... At that time, and you know, you weren't seeing it week in, week out because of, you know, where he was at in his career. But he was fantastic that game. Just the, the, his technical ability, his way to just drift away from players. You know, one he could he could kind of run at speed, but with the ball and through players and dodge challenges, he was fantastic. And um, obviously, over the years, we've now watched a lot of video of him as well. Um, you know, you'll be the same and. He was just a, a, a really good technical player. Could put a bit of a maverick. That's probably the best word. A bit of a maverick, uh, but also a, bizarre, a bit like burn and desire to win, which I think in those kind of profiles can be the difference. Sometimes you, you spot the players who enjoy doing the, the kind of exciting stuff, but maybe don't have that desire to win football matches. But he definitely had that. Um, he was a great player. Yeah, really, really unique player. Actually, you know, if you look at his physical abilities, you know, he, he very, very strong and had a fair bit of pace about him and things like that, could impose his physical qualities on the, on the game, but then was also just incredibly skillful and very, very good on a dribble for the player, you know, in, of that era, really, you know, centre midfielder at that era. And he was a bit like him, you know, dribbling-wise. I think Zidane had a bit of that about him, you know, he just dribbled a lot more than the typical centre midfielder and that. And, um, but, yeah, if you look at Gazzard, you know, I think he... He, he occupied parts of a midfield pair more often than not during those times, but I think if he was using the modern day, if I was in charge of him, if I was in charge of a team, there's no way I'd be using Gazza in the midfield too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd be using him, I, I, funny enough, I'd probably use him how, similar to how I would use Pogba in terms of probably as part of a midfield three mm-hmm. or, or potentially as a ten, but certainly would you know, enough coverage so that the licence that you have to give him to, for him to do his thing, you've got, you're have got covered if it, I suppose, doesn't work. But, yeah, as you said, Maverick was the way that comes to mind for me, actually. That's that's how I describe him as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll do we'll do one more and then we'll kind of assess. <clears throat> so, we'll go to Daniel Agger, um, Ryan Moss. He's a little bit of a cult hero. Daniel Lager on Merseyside, Dave. 
Well, one half of it, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a strange one. Yeah, he's a, was he? Was he? Was he ever that good, Josh? Uh, I always felt like he was a consistent good performer, but I don't think he was like, like you know, a Liverpool great standard. But then, you know, am I going to upset a few people by saying that? Did I not watch him close enough? I don't know. No, I, just, I do think you might be saying he was a bit weird. I think he was in that mould of a cult hero. And I think his, one of his biggest qualities was that he, he got the city. Um, just what, what Scousers, I suppose, are generally like. He very much embraced. Uh, I think he's got Liverpool tattoos and things like that. And he will... He, 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 would, he would put a foot in when needs must. For example, when Torres... When, when Liverpool faced Torres um, for the first time after his move. I think I got snuck an elbow in there, basically. Um, and generally, he, he he scored these mad long ranges every now and then from like yeah. 30, 30 yards. Uh, looking at his numbers for the seasons, actually, his, his, his best scoring return was in 2012-13. slash He scored three goals from centre-half. I'm not sure if they were headers or if they were shot some distance. And he was left-footed as well. So he was a, an interesting profile and a, a player that will go down as, as a player that Liverpool fans did generally admire very much, but he was injured a lot. So he could never really, you know, stake a claim for a regular performance that Liverpool could build a team around as part of a spine or whatever. But as a player, he's generally fondly remembered in Liverpool and, you know, rightly so, in my opinion. Hmm. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So I think at this point we're gonna to have to stop, even though we've got lo- we've got loads left. We have got loads left. Yeah. So apologies if we haven't got to you. You know, there's, there's plenty in there from Eddie Howe to Julian Alvarez to Craig Bellamy to Phil Foden to Phil Neal. There's just there's loads left. Um, so apologies if we haven't got to you. Maybe we can just reuse them when, when we get a next the next quiet week or whatever or if we get a bit of time next week or whatever so apologies if we, if we haven't got to you but we'll, we'll dedicate a quick five minutes to Arsenal <laughs> even though yeah. it's, a, it's a match that's big enough to deserve a bit more than that to be honest yeah yeah probably could have done you know close to an hour on this game but yeah interesting one you know touched on them briefly last week but low key they've, they've kind of been one of the Premier League's best sides over the past two months. Um, you know, they're undefeated in eight. Uh, they've picked up more points than any other side in that time. Um, admittedly, they haven't the toughest of runs after they've played City, where, where they obviously, you know, notoriously lost 5 0. Um, but since then, they've just steadied the ship a little bit. And they look like a team who, you know, maybe a little bit more of a difficult proposition than the one uh, you probably would expect it to face um, a few months ago. Yeah, I think that I think they're definitely good. I just don't know how good. I'm finding it hard to mm. to gauge just where they're going to finish at the end of the season. Like they don't seem particularly free flowing when it comes to finding the net, and obviously we know that generally the amount of goals that you score equates to the amount of points that you end up with. So if they're not going to score more than 60 goals or more than 70 goals or whatever, they're probably not going to have anything special in terms of the season. But I do think they're generally moving in the right direction finally. Uh, obviously, it took a while. Um, 
But I think the recruitment over the summer is interesting, actually, because on the face of it, I didn't think it was that great. But I think it just sums up how you can't really judge recruitments until you see how the players are going to be used and what the plan is. And I think Ben Weiss has came in and made a bit of a difference. Looks like a solid performer and he's going to be available every week. Nuno Tavares looks very, very good. Really, really, you know, bags of potential as, as a left-back. Sammy Laconga looks good. You know, captain of Anderlecht when he arrived. and um, You know, Jacques had ended up missing a few games like they predicted and they've got Laconga to come in and just do the same job. So, I think generally, and he's obviously brought Smith, Smith Rowe and, and Saka through and made them you know, key cogs in the team. So I think generally they are moving in the right direction. I think now, finally, they've done all the cleansing and they're now in a position where they can now build, I think, they're not having to, you know, sweep up the mistakes of past regimes or whatever anymore. So I do, of all the games Liverpool have played against now, so probably since we've started recording this podcast, this is probably the most capable Arsenal team Liverpool have faced. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned one of them there. It'd be interesting to see. Would you, if you were that from the in the Arsenal camp, would you play Tavares? Bear in mind he's up against Salah, um, or would you be inclined to go back to Tierney, who's obviously available now? Well, we recorded analysing Arsenal the other week with uh, with Tom Canton, and he asked Tom. me that. Okay, he asked yeah. me that, and I I I found it tough to be honest. I, I didn't mm-hmm. know what to say. I think I would probably stick with Tavares simply because I think he's more of a physical specimen if you like than yeah. Tierney even though Tierney's very good in that department and I, and I think he's got more of a flow to his game now because he's been playing every week whereas Tierney stop start and stop start and when that's the case and you're putting him against the best player in the league at the minute could be a bit tricky but um, uh, yeah. I rate Tavares quite highly and maybe this is, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, obviously being on the Liverpool podcast, maybe this is one thing that the people should be looking out for. Uh, that, you know, that could kind of be a, a perfect matchup. You know, it's going to be a little bit of a selection headache for Arsenal. Um, and there's kind of pros and cons to each, and maybe that's something Liverpool gets to take advantage of, especially given the form Salah's in. Yeah, I mean, we could, we could look at the numbers a little bit more, but one thing with the numbers... Because of Arsenal's terrible start, <laughs> it feels like they don't entirely paint them in a in a proper picture, really. Mm. Um, they're currently seventh in the league so far for shots. Um, and in terms of shots faced, they are uh, just after mid-table. Mm. So, the, again, they don't look that great, but they got hammered by Manchester City and... Um, even Brentford give them a give them a game, but I I do think if, if we're looking at at a from a Liverpool perspective, I do still think specifically at Anfield, I do think Liverpool will have too much. But mm. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the likes of Smith Rowe and players who seem to be informed for Arsenal, how they cope and how they step up against this side. Yeah, I I agree. I also think Liverpool will have too much uh, because I have caught a few games in this unbeaten run and. They have looked a little bit fortunate at times. I uh, thought they were well, not well beaten because obviously it finished goalless, but from a performance perspective, I thought they, they was comfortably second best against uh, Brighton and uh, one or two other games like that. So, yeah, so maybe they, they I, a little bit fortunate. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought they were second best against Palace. Um, against Leicester, they were very good though. 
So it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. Um, but they are unbeaten in 10 in all competitions. So predictions on this one, Dave? Yeah, I still go with a Liverpool 2-0 win. I'm going to say Liverpool 3-1 on this one, I think. Um, but yeah, we're going to round up there. This is, I think, probably our longest part of it. So mm. apologies for that one. Mind you, hopefully the listeners will like it. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Yeah, and we'll be back next week to analyse what happened at Arsenal and to look ahead to the weekend's fixes. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.